There are plenty of boxes out there. You can help yourself to them as, as you make your way out. We're going to let the kids make their way then to junior church. And we're going to turn to the little book of Jude again. Book of Jude, we're going to look at verses 3 and 4. While the kids are making their way to junior church, just two quick announcements. Any of you confused by the election? Uh, the uh, We Believe We Vote has, has come out with their voter guides, and there are some of those out there on the in the foyer if you're want to investigate some of the issues, they have, they have done that for you there. Also, we're having a, in our community, a community Thanksgiving dinner the week before Thanksgiving, and uh, sponsored by the faith-based organization, and you're welcome to take part in that if you would like, if you just want a, a meal, it's free, or if you would like to help serve, uh, there's a, a sign-up sheet out there for those that would be willing to donate a couple hours of time to, to make that a reality there. No, it's going to be at uh, St. Mary's, St. Mary uh, at, at the church there. Okay, Jude 3. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation, I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain persons have crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation ungodly persons who turn the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Most people do not enjoy conflict. I know there's a few out there that do, and they love to be involved in conflict, but uh, that, that's the minority. Uh, most of us, if we had our choice, would it avoid conflict. And Jude was such that type of person. He wanted to write, as he expressed in verse 3, wanted to write a message about our common salvation. But he felt it necessary to contend for the faith, to enter into it a defense of the faith here. As we look at the book of Jude, we want to look at why did he have that need? What, what was going on in, in the church in, in his day and age that, that called for that need? We begin today by looking at, first of all, the salvation that we share. This was his great desire. He wanted to write about the biblical doctrine of salvation. Uh, That is a tremendous blessing. Christianity is probably the only religion that has that hope of salvation, and we have that hope to share with others. Uh, The Apostle Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, excuse me, not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 2 says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation. This was the desire of Jude's heart to dig into that whole concept of what is involved in salvation. The Apostle Paul did that for us. If you recall, when we went through the book of Romans, back in Romans chapter 3, beginning in verse 20, he started explaining the gospel message to us. And he didn't complete that until the end of chapter 8. There was so much involved in it. I remember years ago, uh, I, the first week that I was in Grangeville, Idaho, pastoring there, I, I probably received at least three invitations to join or to go to their pastor's fellowship. They, they met once a month for uh, a meal at, at a local restaurant and then had a, a business meeting afterwards. Uh, being the new pastor in the block, I thought, I'm not going to be the first one there. 
I, I planned it so that I walked in just five minutes before it was supposed to start. I know, realize some of you plan to walk in five minutes after something starts, but uh, coming from my background, if, if you were not at church 15 minutes early, you were late. Uh, well, my wife and I doesn't, didn't share that view when we were first married, but that, that's, that's just the way I grew up. So I got there five minutes before, and it turned out I was the first one there. Uh, pastors aren't always on time, I guess. Uh, and the first one that walked in was uh, a kind of a gruffy-looking character. He was turned out that he was the Episcopal priest. And uh, since we were meeting in the back room, he knew I was there for the meeting. He he said, uh, asked who I was, and I introduced myself, told him I was with the Evangelical Free Church, and he introduced himself. And then I still remember the words that came out of his mouth. He said, what in the blankety-blank is the Evangelical Free Church. Now, you've got to realize he was a rough character. He had spent years in the military, and then when he retired from the military, he went back to school, became a newspaper editor in California, of all places. And then when he got tired of that, he went to seminary and became an Episcopal priest. And uh, for probably the first year, year and a half that we were there, uh, Jim came up with a bright idea. Let's have a Bible study together as pastors. Why don't we just come together and, and, and discuss business? Why don't we study the Word of God together? And so we did. Once a week, we would meet for a time of studying the Word of God. We actually met in his church for, for a long time. But several of us were concerned about his salvation. Didn't seem to understand salvation. His wife did. She was praying for his salvation, but uh, it, he had no concept of it. We, we were going through the book of Romans together, and uh, one occasion he announced that he had accepted Christ as a Savior. Uh, he, he said he had been reading in one of his uh, commentaries uh, that uh, one of an uh, Episcopal leader years ago had written the words, I have been saved, I am being saved, and I will be saved. And he said somehow that the message of that got through to his heart, and he did accept Jesus Christ as his personal Savior. Kind of changed his ministry. So suddenly you have a new purpose in, in, in ministering there. Uh, but it illustrates the great salvation that God has brought to us. I have been saved. That's justification. We, we've been made right with God. God has uh, redeemed us. We, we have been brought into the family of God. And then he went on to realize, I am being saved. That's, that's sanctification. We're in that process today. How many of you are all that you should be in Christ today? We're, we're growing, aren't we? Or, or I hope we are. I, I hope we're not the same as we were this time last year or two years ago. God's working. He's saving that, that salvation is being worked out in our hearts. And then how many of you are looking forward to the day when you will be saved? You will be home with Christ in glory. You know, the older I get, the more that looks appealing. Just think, suddenly we could be out of this world, home with Christ in, in, in eternity, and, and enjoy the, the glories that he has for us. The, uh, uh, it's a process that, that we're involved in. I know some individuals deny that process. I, I have worked with individuals that uh, they think they're perfect now. They're, they're all that they should be in Christ. Uh, and uh, I, I, sometimes I 
maybe I'm not as nice as I should be, but I, I had somebody tell me that, 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 that 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, we're a new creature in Christ, old things have passed away, all things have become new, so therefore they, the conclusion they came to was, we cannot sin. And uh, if, if we sin, it was the devil working in us, so we don't take credit for that, and we don't ask forgiveness for that. Uh, I, I'd like to turn to them at, at that point and say, if all things have been made new, what about your body? Is this the body you're going to spend eternity in? Or does God have something yet to do in, in your life there? Romans eight twenty three speaks of the fact that we should be looking forward to the redemption of the body. It hasn't happened yet. I, I don't know about you, but I still suffer in this, this body. It, it's not glorified yet. Day's going to come when that's changing, but when, when I'm home with Christ in glory. But until then, it's still a work in progress. In 1 Thessalonians five twenty three. Paul, as he's writing to the church there, says, May the God of peace sanctify you entirely. May your spirit, soul, and body be preserved complete without blame at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the three aspects of salvation come out there. We have been justified. Our spirit has been made right with God. We're being changed and transformed through sanctification. Our soul is being changed. And then the day's coming when our body's going to be glorified as well. And so that was what Jude wanted to write about, that great salvation that, that we share today. And, and notice he says here, it's a common salvation. We share in that salvation with each and every one that has accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. I, I think that's important for us to, to recognize as Jude writes this, our enemy is not one another. We're not here to fight each other. Our enemy is not the church down the road. They may have a different style of worship than we have. They may emphasize different gifts. But if they have accepted Jesus Christ as their personal Savior, we are one with them. We are part of that, that same body there today. We, we, we may not always appreciate their worship style, but guess what? They probably don't always appreciate our worship style either, either. But God has called them to reach a different group than he's called us to reach. And so we can t together, work together to the glory of Jesus Christ. We're a family there. Uh, several things Jude says about that the faith that, that, that he's writing about here. Uh, we look at, next at the faith that we defend there. He uses the word contend. Uh, I, I changed it to defend, but the, the actual word is contend here. So we contend earnestly. Both Paul and Jude used this term. Paul used it in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where he spoke of the fact that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. It, it's a spiritual battle that's going on there. And I, I think our ladies are wrestling with that in their Bible study. Uh, prayer, prayer time, prayer can be a battle. And, and they're, they're lo looking at that. That's the same word that he's using here to contend for the faith. Paul uses it in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25 there, where he said, everyone who competes in a game has to compete according to the rules and so forth there. He, he uses it to, to describe the life of an athlete there. And if you notice the spiritual battle in the life of an ath athlete, in both cases it demands discipline, it demands dedication, it demands action and hard work. 
I, I, I mentioned, I think it was in Sunday school a week or two ago, we had a young boy staying with us. He was about nine or ten years of age. And his great ambition in life was to be a professional football player. The only problem was he couldn't or didn't think he, he should have to walk two blocks to go to school. He, he wanted us to drive him to school. Uh, he, he learned he could walk two blocks, but uh, I, I thought, you know, if, if that's really your desire, you better get working at it now, or you're never going to make it. it uh, and he never made it, but, and that's okay. But it, it demands action on our part. Why do we contend for the faith? We contend for the faith. We enter into that battle because there is apostasy out there. And that's what Jude is writing about in, in this epistle. It was true in Jude's day, and it is still true today. We are warned in First Timothy chapter 4. It says, The Spirit explicitly says that in the latter days, some will fall away from the faith, paying heed to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. And he goes on to look at several areas there. One is our food. The other is marriage and so forth. And aren't we involved in that kind of a conflict today? We've redefined marriage. We've changed the terms. Uh, uh, We're in those days. We need to defend the faith. Peter says the same thing in 2 Peter chapter 2. He said, false prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. We are involved, whether we like it or not, in that battle. We are called today to defend the the faith that God has given to us. The faith, as Jude uses that word, speaks of the basic doctrinal teaching that was given by the Spirit of God through the apostles to the church. It is, it is God's word entrusted to us, and we dare not change it. Several things about the faith here. The faith, first of all, is closed in its content. Notice he says here, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints there. God is not about to change the basic fundamental truths that he gave to us in Scripture. The the faith has been set in clear terms in the word of God for us. He doesn't change, neither does his word change. The basic teaching, the fundamentals of the word are not up for debate. This is the word of God. We make no apologies for standing upon the principles of God's word. God has given it to us. We are called to live it out. Matter of fact, in Revelation chapter 22, in verse uh, 18, I like that screen in the back. That's great. <laughs> Say so he's trying to find it in my notes. It says, I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God shall add to him the plagues which are written in the book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the tree of life and the holy city which are written in the book. Notice what he says there. The word of God is complete. I have read recently that a lot of theologians today are adding a 67th book to the Bible. We have 66 books in in, in the word of God. The 67th Bible, according to so many of our teachers today, is nature. 
Now, nature reveals a lot about God. It reveals the glory of God. It reveals the wisdom of God. It reveals that he's a God of order, but it is not the same as Scripture. And I realize the the reason for that is they're attempting to uh, introduce evolution into our thinking and and make Christianity and evolution one and the same there. I think they need to be aware of what they are doing there. The, The Word of God is closed in its content. We need to be careful that we don't take away from the word and that we don't add to the word. I have a, a pastor friend, I won't mention where he's from or, or his name there, but uh, he told me a, about a year ago that he's retranslating. I think it was the book of Romans. It may be First Corinthians. I'm not sure why. Because he said, I believe the church has had it wrong for 2,000 years. He has a doctrine that he wants to promote, and the Word of God doesn't promote it. And so, guess what? Reinterpret the Word of God and make it say what you want it to say. And I I think he's headed for some major trouble in his life if he continues that course of action. We don't have the right to change the, the Word of God. Many have attempted to do that. Many have attempted to redefine the terms. But God is clear in the word that he has given to us. It's not a creation myth. It's the word of God. It's, it's, it's the truth there. It's not just true if it speaks to me. It's true because God said it, and that makes it true. And we need to, to stake our lives upon the word of God. The faith is also closed in its historical setting. Again, I'll come back to that phrase, once for all. all. The idea that Jude had in mind with that is there is no room today for extra-biblical revelation. There is no room for someone to come along and change the word of God and say, well, I've received a message from the Lord. Uh, there, there is a place today for visions. There, there is a place for hearing from the word of God. But we must always evaluate what we hear in light of Scripture. We don't change Scripture to make it fit what we hear. We measure what we have received in those gifts is it consistent with the word of God? I remember years ago, a lady coming to me and saying, Pastor, I have a book you just have to read. That always raises red flags in my my thinking there. I, I don't know why I'm, I'm skeptical by, by nature, but she said, you, you, you've got to read this book. So I read it. In it, the writer shared a vision that he had. He was taken to the gates of heaven. And he, was to- he watched as people came before the gates of heaven and they had the privilege of looking in and uh, deciding whether they wanted to go into heaven or not. And then they, they were taken to the gates of hell and they were, they were to look into the gates of hell and, and then they were asked, which one are you going to choose? I had a problem with that because I don't find that in Scripture. In uh, Hebrews Chapter 9, verse 27, it says, It's appointed unto man once to die. After this comes the judgment. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it says, Behold, now is the day of salvation. Not after we die. We make that choice today. And uh, that book wound up where a lot of books wind up that that come my way. Uh, uh, I looked at it. I considered it. And I filed it into my circular file because it was not consistent with the word of God. We dare not change just because of our 
day and age and culture, we dare not change the word of God. Just because we live in a different generation doesn't give us the right to rewrite the definitions. Doesn't give us the right to reinterpret the word of God. In fact, is in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says, Jesus Christ, the what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. And so is his word as well. So often we want to change the word of God based on our culture, based on our society. I don't know about you, but when it comes to the area of marriage, I think God had the original say in it back in the book of Genesis. I believe that's still in effect today. He doesn't change when it comes to the area of murder. You know, when Cain killed Abel, it was considered wrong. It was sin. And guess what? You go out and murder somebody today, and it's wrong. It's sin. It, it, it hasn't changed down through the centuries. Our culture has changed, but it's still wrong. And, and we need to recognize that God's word stands irregardless of what society says today. God's word is the final authority on, on that. The other thing we need to notice about the faith here is the faith is open to everyone. It's open to all. Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. He has extended that invitation to each and every one of us today. The only condition is we come his way. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The invitation is there. We can come. It includes all of us. We, we have that opportunity to respond to the invitation, but we have to come through the door that he's opened for us. We have to come through the person and work of Jesus Christ. With all of that in mind, we look at the danger that we face today. As I said, the danger that we face today is apostasy there. Romans 10, uh, let's go on to number three there. Yeah, okay. Uh, apostasy is a departure from the truth. And sadly, that departure often comes from within a body of believers. It's not necessarily brought on from the outside. It comes from, from within if we're not careful there. Notice how he describes the apostasy, those who are opposed to the truth. He says, first of all, they are ungodly. Second Timothy chapter 3, verse 5 speaks of the fact that in our day and age, he's looking at the end times there, he said they will have a form of godliness, but they'll deny the power thereof. They'll, they'll pay lip service to the truth, but it won't change their lives. It won't touch their hearts. And that was where many of the false teachers were today. Uh, and, and that's where many of them are today. Uh, if, if they are teaching contrary to Scripture they are teaching that which is ungodly. I don't care how large their church is. I, I don't care how many people are following there, whether they have a successful image or not. If what they are teaching is contrary to the word of God, Jude would say they're ungodly. We, we need to learn to examine from the word of God a, a person's life and, and ministry. Also, he says they are deceitful here. Notice he uses that word, they have crept in unawares. Satan is the master of deceit. 
You see it back in the book of Genesis chapter 3 when he came and tempted Eve. He said, has God really said this? Does God really mean this? He deceived her. She was taken by his deception there. Uh, And there are many today that would deceive us by saying, well, you know, it it doesn't really mean what it says. That we, we need to change the terms. We need to change the definitions. No, that's deceitful. We, we need to stick to the word of God as our guide for life. And then they are enemies of grace, he said. Enemies of grace come in two forms. He speaks here of the fact that they are licentious. That's a word that we don't use much anymore. It speaks of somebody that has loose morals, that that is doing something that, or living a lifestyle the contrary to, to the word of God. I, I think of a man years ago in, in Texas when, when I was in college. One of our, our teachers used a, some of his material in one of our classes uh, in, in how to share our faith there. He had some tremendous material, that, that uh, excellent. And, and then I, I was saddened a few years later to hear that... Uh, he was having some struggles in his life. He was getting up in the pulpit and saying, you know, I can swear in the pulpit, and he would do that just deliberately to shock people. And he said, you know, I can do that because the grace of God will cover it. No, I, I can ask forgiveness of that. And, and then a little while later, he said, you know, I can have an affair with my secretary, and that's okay because the grace of God will cover it. And it turned out that he was having an affair with his secretary. The fact of the matter is, it wasn't okay. He, he was living a licentious lifestyle, and it destroyed his ministry. That, uh, th- that's an enemy of grace here. The other enemy of grace is legalism. If, if we are legalistic, we destroy grace. Works become important to our salvation. We can earn our salvation, and we don't need the work of Jesus Christ. Uh, Again, the safeguard is what saith the scriptures. That's what we use to defend our faith. That, that's what we use to defend our teaching. I think of the, the church in uh, Berea in Acts chapter 17. I think, don't remember what verse it is, but you can look it up. You can read the whole chapter. It won't hurt you. Uh, <laughs> After ministering in Thessalonica and and being kicked out of Thessalonica, Paul went to to Berea. And it speaks of the fact that they were more noble in Berea than the Thessalonians. And and the reason was when Paul preached, they searched the scriptures to see if what he said was true. I hope you do that. I I hope you don't think, well, if Pastor Dan says it, it's got to be true. Evaluate it with the word of God. That's what you got it for. Go go back and and examine the scriptures to make sure that what's being taught here is being taught according to the word of God. And then he sums it up by saying they were disobedient. Notice he speaks of the fact that they were even denying the lordship of Jesus Christ. One of the basic fundamental tests of our fellowship with God and our salvation is do we profess him, 1 John 4, Do we profess him as Lord of our lives? If he is not Lord, then we are not a child of God. Now, this is a tough passage, and he's going to expand that as we go on here. But uh, often the enemy comes as an angel of light. We need to be careful. 
that we don't become deceived by the enemy there. It's a serious passage because the salvation of souls are at stake. You preach the wrong doctrine. You, you tell them that they can earn their way to salvation or, or it doesn't matter how they live. And they may lose their soul in the process. In, in uh, the book of Acts, Paul warned that in the end day after he left that there were going to be grievous wolves come. And they were going to destroy much of the work that had been accomplished there. I, I copied a, a quote out of one of Spurgeon's writings. It's, uh, he, he, he once wrote, he said, the, the new views are not the old truth in a better dress. They're deadly errors with which we can have no fellowship. False doctrine is a deadly poison that must be identified, labeled, and avoided. And that's what Judas attempted to do here. Spurgeon went on to say, I cannot endure false doctrine, however neatly it may be put before me. It doesn't matter how it's packaged or how successful it looks. He said, would you have me eat poison meat because the dish is of the choicest ware? We don't eat poison meat, do we? We, we, we avoid it. It doesn't matter what kind of dish it's served on. And the same thing is true of the word of God. The battle still rages. And in our day and age, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Uh, Verse 3, Paul says, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desire, will turn away their ears from the truth, and will turn aside to myths. That is happening in the day and age in which we are living. We we need to be aware of that and to contend with Jude for the faith. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 12, he says, we are to contend for the faith. We are, enter, we are to enter into that battle for we are to fight the good fight of faith, he said, and lay hold of eternal life. Are you holding fast to the truth of the word of God? Have you been listening to some maybe that have been perverting the gospel, that have been retranslating the word of God? Have you believed some false doctrine? Have you been deceived? You need to come back to the truth. These are serious days when we need to reevaluate what we believe and ask ourselves, is it consistent with God's word? If it isn't, then we better turn away from it. We better come back to the basics and with Jude contend for the faith today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that Jude was willing to enter into that battle. Even though his desire was not to get involved in a battle, it was to share that common salvation, yet he felt the necessity because of the day and age in which he was living to face up to the dangers that were there. We need to do the same thing, Father. We have so much compromise going on around us today. Help us to honestly evaluate our lives, our practices, what we are doing in light of what you would say from your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing together higher ground. And let's not be content to stay down here when we can go higher.